This is Race Capital with Chelsea Higgs-Wise and Kat Maudlin-Jackson, where we interrogate racial narratives in our place, space, and time of Richmond, Virginia, the former capital of the Confederacy. I'm from the R, the I, the C, the H, the N, the O, the N, the D. That's my self-teaching. The R, the I, the C, the H, the N, the O, the N, the D. That's my self-teaching. The R, the I, the C, the H, the N, the O, the N. Hello and good morning. This week, we're talking about one of the most contentious topics debated from Richmond to Washington, healthcare. Our guest today will explore the current healthcare system in the U.S. and the possibilities for the future, specifically Medicare for All. What is Medicare for All? How does it differ from Medicaid? What are the implications of government healthcare for people of color? And can Medicare for All rectify the deep history of discrimination in the healthcare industry? Stay tuned and find out. Okay, here on the show today, we have two guests, and I'm really excited to bring you Miss Monica Hutchinson and Miss Beverly Ross. Monica is a friend to the show, so you'll recognize her, but Beverly is new to us and to the audience. So Beverly, why don't we start with you and you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing around here in Richmond, Virginia. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me to this program. I am a psychiatric clinical nurse specialist. I have been in practice for close to five decades, and I'm very, very proud to be a nurse. Psychiatric nursing, of course, is my first love. I am a member of the Virginia Nurses Association, the American Nurses Association, the Virginia Association of Clinical Nurse Specialists, uh, Black Nurses Association, as well as Chi Eta Phi Sorority, which is a nursing sorority. Thank you so much for being here. And Ms. Monica Hutchinson, remind the folks a little bit about yourself. So I am Monica Hutchinson. I am a married mother to three teenage boys who test me every day, but it's okay. I still love them. And I am also a nationally certified pharmacy technician. I have been for 14 years. I am also a huge social justice advocate and, and fighter for uh Love my community, um, the communications chair for Henrico County and AACP, the first vice chair for special education advisory committee for Henrico County Public Schools. I am also the Fairfield representative uh, on the SEAC special education advisory committee. And last but not least, I am the magisterial lead for the Fairfield district and Henrico County for Henrico County Dems. And anyone who knows me knows how much I absolutely love Fairfield and will always make sure that Fairfield's voice is heard and represented. Thank you so much and congratulations to everything in Fairfield and this past election to all the hard work that's been going on there. Why don't we go ahead and get started with a conversation that I'm really anxious to have as we enter 2020, which is just around community health. Beverly, you have very direct experience in the healthcare system. Monica, you are a political activist and advocate, which means you are constantly doing the best for our health in general. But I just really would be interested to hear you all's experiences around and thoughts around where you think 
we are in healthcare here in the United States. What's the status of healthcare? I think at this point, healthcare, as far as technology is concerned, we are at the top. However, when you look at our country as a whole, we are really behind. We are not providing health care to all who need it. There is a great misconception as to what folks can or cannot receive. Mm -hmm. I have a friend who is older than I. As a matter of fact, she's, she's in her 70s, and she's in need of eye surgery. Mm -hmm. She has an employer. She works in the private sector. But the insurance that she has has a very high deductible. Mm. She only has Medicare Part A, mm -hmm. which will cover hospitalization. She is in need of surgery, eye surgery. Mm -hmm. But the surgery will not require hospitalization. Okay. It is a, a day surgery. Therefore, she does not have coverage. So we're lacking in terms of reaching all people. You mentioned that she has Medicare Part A. What is the difference between the parts of Medicare? I will only respond to what I know. Part A is for hospitalization. Part B is for outpatient care, your doctor your doctor visits, mm -hmm. and there is Part C and Part D, and I will allow my fellow guests to respond to what Part C and Part D entails because she has more experience with that. So Medicare Part B, I just want to add, also covers durable medical equipment, which is going to be patients' diabetic care supplies and things of that nature. Um, a lot of times patients will use that for, you know, post-op and, and bandages and things of that nature. Medicare Part D is going to be your prescription coverage. That is the coverage that uh, was achieved under President Bush. Um, since I work in a pharmacy, I will tell you, Medicare Part D has helped many people, but it also hurts many people um, because of the guidelines that are in place. People have what's called the donut hole. Mm -hmm. uh, after... The patient pays and Medicare themselves pay has reached a certain amount. Then Medicare stops paying until the patient pays out of pocket, usually around two to two thousand to twenty five hundred, and then Medicare will pick up one hundred percent after that. Um, by the time that happens, though, honestly, it's towards the end of the year, so it, it just doesn't really help many people. Um, so Medicare, like I said, Medicare D helps, but it also hurts. Uh, people have high deductibles. They have high premiums, and because of the anti-kickback statute that was put in place many, many years ago, they cannot even get assistance on their, on their prescription coverage from the pharmaceutical companies that do have copay cards. Uh, any prescription paid in part or whole by any governmental agency cannot be helped, uh, is, not, is not eligible, does not qualify for any assistance, and if a pharmacy does use the copay card and find out they can lose the ability to service Medicare patients and be fined um, way too much money. So it's just not going to happen. Um, you also have Medicare F, which is going to be your supplemental Medicare plan. That is for patients who, you know, Medicare covers 
the Medicare F is a supplemental plan. That is the plan that people have to pay out of pocket for to have to try to pick up that 20%. So, yeah, that's our Medicare. Well, thank you for that. I want to back up and allow you to also, with that same lens, knowing that you are so informed about Medicare, you tell us, what's the state of healthcare here in the United States and Virginia? The state of healthcare right now, um, it sucks. It has sucked and it, and it still sucks, right? Like we know we have huge racial disparity gaps in every single form of, of healthcare you can think of, um, from the maternal mortality rate to cardiac care, you know, diabetes care, all of that. Like we know the racial disparity gaps is huge and it's only getting wider. Um, access to healthcare is something that we don't have. A lot of times people are out here and they fight for health insurance or healthcare, but that is great, but we also need to make sure that we're fighting for access to quality healthcare because not all healthcare is equal. It, you know, my grandfather used to always say, doctors differ and patients die. Mm. And as a child, I never really understood that until I got older and started seeing exactly what he, what he meant by that. Um, and it is true. You know, options is something that everybody should be able to have. And so not just access to quality health care, but access to, you know, options for quality health care. You know, a doctor that is going to be great for me may not be the best fit for someone else. Mm. You know, that's just something we need to take into account. Can I jump in and ask, can anyone talk a little bit more about why a doctor for someone else might not be the same doctor for me? I believe in advocacy. Mm -hmm. I believe in self-advocacy. Individuals are not educated to recognize that they have certain rights. If I go to Dr. Smith, Dr. Smith says, come in my office. I sit down. He's looking at his computer or he's looking at his telephone He's not interested in me. I ask questions. I get a vague response. That is a provider that I will not see again. I have choices. We all have choices. Even if we're going to a public clinic, we can say, I know that there are three other doctors here. That doctor is not listening to me. I want to try the other doctor. Mm -hmm. Advocate for yourself so that you can be treated as you should be. Because I believe that we all have the right to health care. Our nation, unfortunately, is very, very low on the spectrum as far as what is What is good? Mm. We are not taking care of our people. Mm. I would like for everybody to be able to be seen. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure about this Medicare for all at this point, but I just believe that it's a right that we have Mm -hmm. as citizens of the United States. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you that there is indeed disparity as far as racial the black race, especially African-Americans, receiving the appropriate care. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. I also see that as far as gender Mm -hmm. and age Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And these are things that can be very easily taken care of. The way we educate physicians, the way we educate nurse practitioners, see these 
individuals as people. I feel like this is the time where I always have to remind listeners about the history of Richmond, Virginia and our medical care here specifically with um, the Medical College of Virginia, VCU Health, that we know that after emancipation, when black Virginians and Richmonders were supposed to be free, Medical College of Virginia was actually grave robbing black Richmond graveyards in order to take the bodies to the hospital. They called it anatomical material. And from there, they would use the bodies as cadavers for the medical advancement. This was something that terrorized the black community. It was known by the white community. The Virginia governor pardoned this type of behavior, and it is now the reason why we have gates around graveyards. We talk about grave robbing. It comes uh, very directly from the medical industry. And here in Virginia, and Richmond specifically, we have that history heavily embedded, especially because we have now found the remains and the bones in the well on the MCV property of where those bodies were stolen, used for medical dissection, and then thrown away. Because at that moment in time, black people were not seen as humans. We were only seen as flesh and anatomical materials um, to the medical industry and to many of the institutions, specifically the health care institution here. And that's those stories last with people. They last with our ancestors and our elders who have been telling people like me, don't let those doctors mess with you. So it is this history that also feeds into not just the patients of being scared, but also into the doctors of how they see the patients, that training that's been going on for years is still embedded with them. And by that training, I mean that bias. Right. And that, you know, to answer your question that you also asked um, about why, why one physician for, you know, me may not be for somebody else. It, it is exactly those biases that come into play. Um, but also just cultural differences, right? Like we also know, you know, like Beverly said, not just dealing with race, but also gender and age. We know that our older generation, especially our older black generation, they're going to be less inclined to, you know, tell a physician about what may be ailing them or what's going on. So you just need somebody to even understand that. Um, but also just understanding that somebody who you know, looks like you, has similar experiences like you, you're going to be more comfortable speaking with and talking to because they understand. Mm -hmm. They're going to get it, you know, and, and those biases are killing us. Racism is killing us in the medical profession, not just from dissecting our bodies once we're gone, but you know, we don't have time to get into it today. But I would urge everybody to look into Sarah Bartman if you do not know who she is, because that will just show how Black bodies have always been subject to dissection and scrutiny. And, you know, black the black body has always been seen as something other than just a body like anyone else. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, like I said, as Bartman with two A's. <laughs> so, Beverly, you brought up this concept that we've heard a lot in the news called Medicare for All. You said you're not too sure about all of that. But what have you heard right now and how are you feeling about it currently? Because I have not spent time to truly read and research it, I'm at the point where I am actually neutral about it. Mm -hmm. For me, I just want everybody to be taken care of, but I don't want there to be other consequences because of that. 
Right. So maybe someone else could further clarify it. We're looking at you, Monica. So how do you feel? You didn't already given us a little bit of your feelings uh, about what Medicare is missing, which mm-hmm. sounds like a lot of coverage. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, with the presidential races coming up and here in Virginia, we vote in the primary on March 3rd. One huge topic is this Medicare for all. What is your response as an advocate and for people that are coming up saying, hey, Monica, what do you think? So I'll be honest with you, I I am not a fan. I'm not for Medicare for all. Um, Like I said, I've already mentioned some of the issues that I have with Medicare Um, as somebody who, you know, in my professional life, but also my personal life. You know, uh, my grandmother just passed away Sunday and I have had a lot of fights with Medicare recently um, dealing with her care in nursing homes and, you know, the level of care, the, you know, when it comes to Medicare paying and just things of that nature, just, just to see how much people put that value on the Medicare system and how much they pay and when they stop paying and when they stop paying is no longer, they no longer want you. Right. So like they legit kicked my grandmother out of one nursing home because she had Medicare and she had private insurance but medicare pays first even if there is private insurance and she did not have medicaid because she never had a reason to have medicaid and she didn't qualify before the expansion so you know that's just one dynamic and and one narrative that i know personally but also i do want to add that when it comes to the single payer health care and creating this one-size-fits-all health insurance plan or health care we know that the medical field and, and medical care right now is very much based on the white narrative. Mm. I do not trust my health care, my health insurance to be crafted, once again, using that white narrative. Mm. Everything from algorithms and the computer to mm. how they treat us, to who should be treated, to how they triage us, it is all centered around that white narrative. The last thing I want is for my health insurance to also be like that. I just want to make sure that people understand that strengthening policies, making sure that we have protections in place, honestly, to me, is the best thing. Competition has always been key. Competition is healthy. Competition does drive down prices. It does that in everything. I am not saying that the way the healthcare system is set up is is, is perfect. God knows it's not. Um, these health insurance companies need to be checked. Absolutely. But like I said, I just do not trust our federal government because Medicare is federal government. Mm -hmm. I do not trust them with my health care. I just don't. And it's also interesting to see a lot of the legislators that would be crafting this bill that are out here going hard for Medicare will never have Medicare. Come on. Okay. Say it. So you will never know my struggles. You will never know what I go through because we pay for your health insurance and you have the best. Right. So once again, they should not be the crafters of this. We should be the crafters of it and we should be at the table. And I'm sick and tired of seeing people who are crafting Medicare for all. They are all white sitting at that table and then they want to shove it down our throat and tell us that, oh, this is what's best for you. That's not how any of this works. That's not how it ever should have worked and it's not how it's going to work now thank you for saying that because one question i've been having is how is this truly going to translate to the black community right you keep talking about this white narrative it's because what sounds good for them doesn't always end up manifesting the same way for us Mm -hmm. And without that particular lens and that inclusive narrative in there that where we can see our issues, our problems also being addressed, I'm having that same trust issue as well. So I really just want to ask 
and I don't put this pressure on people that come out and say, hey, I'm against this, even though I know this is the, the narrative you often hear, Monica, is that, hey, well, Monica, if you're against it, what is your recommendation? Like, what what do we need to make it better? Mm-hmm. You mentioned a little bit about competition and things, but if you don't mind answering your the question, also tying in a little bit of the ACA that mm-hmm. was implemented just a couple years ago. So one, I do want to just add, um, when it comes to, I mean, people do ask that question, well, what do we need? And I always tell them, what we need is to have people sitting at the table mm-hmm. having this discussion, right? Mm-hmm. We need to have people that look like us sitting at the table on the boards of these insurance companies, on the boards of these pharmaceutical companies. That's what we need to make sure that we are protected all the way around. When it comes to the ACA, you know, Mm -hmm. I I definitely agree with uh, something President Obama said was that the ACA was never meant to be the finished product. It was, you know, it was meant to be like that starter house you buy and you work on it, you build on it to continue making it better. You, you know, you add something, you take away, you like, oh, this works, let's strengthen it. On a personal note, I will say I know the ACA works because I am 39 years old and I had to have a total ankle replacement mm. four years ago, actually almost five years now, in December of 2014. Uh, had an injury March 4th of 2000 that resulted in six surgeries and then the ankle replacement was the seventh surgery. Mm. Um, Band-aid surgery after Band-aid surgery and couldn't get it because it was, you have to get to this certain age. You have to lose a certain amount of weight. You have to do this. You have to do that before I could get it. Wow. Knowing that my quality of life was declining. So I know the ACA works because of the ACA. I was able to get this. Um, like I said, at the age of 34, mm-hmm. I was able to get a total ankle replacement and it has greatly improved my quality of life. You know, the pain level is not there like it was. And like I said, I mean, that's just one story, right, right, of the ACA helping and working for people. And I know it works. And so we cannot allow for my story to be taken away or my story Mm -hmm. to not happen to someone else on a grander scale. Mm -hmm. We have to strengthen the ACA and strengthen the policies that were there um, and protect the people that are the most vulnerable. Thank you for that. And like you said, that was not meant to be the finished product, but just listening to these stories, the state of healthcare, we know that we cannot be finished. We have to do something else. I just want to thank both of you all for being here really quickly. How can we follow your work? So my Twitter handle is at Hutch Fantastic Five. And my Facebook name is just Monica Hutchinson. So Monica Hutchinson and at Hutch Fantastic Five. Beverly, anything you want to say to the people before we get out of here? Keep yourself educated. I do not have anything on social media, but I do try to stay read up. Mm -hmm. And I encourage all of you to read and listen. Don't believe everything you read necessarily on the Internet or that you see on TV. Really scrutinize what is being given to you. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, thank you, too, for being here. Strong Black Women Voices. That's what we are here at Race Capital to amplify. And thank you again and good luck. Thank you. are keeping the conversation about Medicare for all here at Raise Capital. And today I am also excited to sit down 
with Ben Hemifarb and Gabby Obadoza. Thank you so much for you two being here. And you all are both members of Richmond DSA. Ben, you're also part of the National Nurses United Medicare for All campaign. Gabby, the member of the Richmond DSA and also a student member of SNAP. They have come to the platform very eager to talk about why they are in support of Medicare for All. So I'm really just going to turn the mic right over to Ben and Gabby and let them inform you and inform me a little bit about what in the world is Medicare for All. So thank you, first of all, for having us. Uh, Medicare for All is a specific thing. Uh, Medicare for All means a specific thing. It doesn't mean... Medicare for those who want it, Medicare for those who can afford it, some Medicare for some people. It means Medicare for all, capital M, capital F, capital A. It refers to a specific piece of legislation. There's a bill in the House that is sponsored by uh, Pramila Jaipal from Washington, and there's a bill in the Senate that's sponsored by Bernie Sanders. Um, Both of those bills have numerous co-sponsors. A majority of Democrats in the House right now sponsor, co-sponsor Medicare for All. Uh, A notable exception is uh, Representative McEachin, who does not. Um, Well, we know McEachin is also endorsing Joe Biden, so. Yes, that is lots of questions. True information. Um, We do, (laughs) however, have two uh, Virginia reps who have sponsored Medicare for All, Rep. Scott and Rep. Byer have both um, co-sponsored Medicare for All. Um, Medicare for All is a structural change. It would be decommodifying a huge sector of our economy, taking it out of the kind of frame of capitalism where only people who can afford certain things get certain things. If you're poor, you're basically left to die. Um, or given sort of a minimal kind of scraps to keep you, in some cases, keep you Mm. in a position of poverty and disadvantage. So keep you alive just enough to be in poverty? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And Medicare for All would set many hundreds of millions of people free, in my my view. Um, It has five points that are simple but uh, important, and it won't really work and, you know, the part of what National Nurses United, DSA, um, Bernie Sanders' campaign, even Elizabeth Warren's campaign, um, are, and specifically, especially the nurses, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, National Nurses United and Cal Nurses um, have been behind Medicare for All for a long time. Mm-hmm. There's been decades of organizing that's gone into this. Mm-hmm. It's coming to a head now with the 2020 election, Mm -hmm. but this movement has roots going way back, really all the way to like the New Deal. Mm -hmm. Um, But the five points of Medicare for All, the basics, if you know nothing else, it is universal, it's a single plan, it's comprehensive, it's free at the point of service, and it includes a just transition for people currently working in the for-profit Um, health insurance system Mm. to either move into working, uh, you know, in government jobs for the Medicare for all system Mm -hmm. or getting um, support financial or otherwise for retraining and changing jobs. 
You know, that's a point that I had not even thought about, which was the jobs of the folks that are working in the market already and why that could already be a pushback. Because if they hear, hey, no more private insurance, then that means I have no job. So it's um, it's really great that and it shows the amount of preparation and thought mm. that's been into yeah. this to think about that transition as well. Yeah, there's there's a lot of kind of questions out there that are maybe intended to make Medicare for all seem like a naive pipe dream Mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And that really discredits the organizing and work, um, both like literal physical work that people have done, intellectual work people have done Mm -hmm. to, you know, make a really strong plan. You know, the bottom line on it is that, again, it said so much that I don't know how convincing it is to people anymore, but every other industrialized country in the world manages to provide affordable, comprehensive, in most cases, health insurance to everyone in their country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we are the one place that doesn't, and we spend more, and we get worse outcomes. Yep. So um, I see that you have a nice sheet of notes. And my first kind of question, just hearing the five points, and I don't know if I'm stealing your glory, let me know was the free at point of service. Talk to me a little bit about what that means. Sure. So anytime you say free, people need to know what that is. (laughs) Right. Uh, So a common thing you'll get, um, especially if you're, you know, talking about this with your family or with someone who's older or something, you know, who uh, says they've seen a lot of good ideas come and go and all that to say, how are you going to pay for it? Right. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that I encourage everyone to say when someone says, how are you going to pay for Medicare for all is to politely, if you can say, we are already paying for it Mm. and we're already paying way more than we would be under Medicare for all. Mm -hmm. 98% of people, according to the economic studies that have been done and frankly, the structure of the, of the bill of the law um, 98% of people are going to see a reduction in their health care costs mm-hmm. overall. Mm-hmm. Um, so free at the point of service means no fees, no co-pays, and no deductibles. Mm-hmm. So you know how sometimes these days you have health insurance, but you can't afford to use it, mm-hmm. right? Because you go to pick up your prescription and you find out you have to spend $500 before you can spend $60 on a prescription that's already too expensive because... Drug companies have a basically mm-hmm. a monopoly on the pricing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no regulations on it. So in that way, it's free. It's very important. So uh, as a medical student, so I'm a first-year medical student, and I'm always kind of thinking about how Medicare for All is going to affect kind of how I come to clinical decisions with patients and how I direct patient care. And a lot of what I've seen is just people aren't able to, maybe they'll get to the doctor's appointment and they'll be able to, you know, shell out that $20 copay, but their back hurts and doctor's like, come on, let's go to physical therapy. That's six visits, a copay at each one. I think Gabby knows my life. I (laughs) have back pain and it is. I'm like, well, I'm going to do these exercises at home, but yeah, I'm not paying all that for physical therapy, PT. Yeah. And um, so that was kind of what drove me towards Medicare for all is just seeing how people struggled with being able to get the care. No one wants to be sick, right? So everyone wants to get better. And it just devastated me to see these people 
coming into the doctor's office saying, my back hurts. I have no quality of life. I can't play with my grandkids. Mm -hmm. Um, How do I get better? Okay, go to physical therapy. With what money, you know? Mm. And so being free at the point of care is just, it's good for the patients obviously and but it's also good for physicians it makes us feel that we have some kind of agency over making clinical decisions with patients right um i think a big problem with the private health care industry right now or private health insurance um is that they dictate care and they've they've never sat with these patients Right. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about that example you were just going in, Ben, and what you were just saying. So uh, no deductibles, no copay. Right. So how do I pay for my prescription? Sure. So Medicare for all, the system by which we would pay for health care, mm-hmm. right? And it's important to make the distinction between health insurance and health care. Uh, the way we would pay for it is through progressive taxation. So based on one's ability to pay into the system. Mm -hmm. Everyone gets the same benefits regardless of how much they pay into the system through taxes. Right. We already pay Medicare taxes in our Mm -hmm. paychecks. Mm -hmm. Um, We, uh, you know, often hear politicians talk about how that system may not be there for us, you know, younger people by the time um, we're there to to use it. So, Medicare for all benefits from being universal by having everyone pay in, which is what insurance is, right? It's, it's right. insurance against a future, hopefully not calamity. Um, having everyone pay in, we get a much bigger and more sustainable pool of money mm-hmm. to work with. Um, and under Medicare for all, the government would be able to set prices. So right now, uh, hospitals, they, they make up prices for things mm. and so do private insurers mm-hmm. there there is no actual standard out there right it is subject to the whims of the market and profiteers oh my goodness based on the market is a phrase that keeps right. me up at night in all realms mm-hmm. of politics. education development development yes um somebody might hear this and say well i don't trust the government as it is why now would I put all of my health care uh, responsibility right. into a right. government that is corrupt? So let's talk about Obamacare <laughs> and Affordable Care Act, because that is a little bit of the elephant in the room mm-hmm. with this, because a lot of Democratic politicians get a lot of mileage out of saying we just need to shore up Obamacare. Okay. So let's be clear about what Obamacare, uh, Affordable Care Act, is. It is a system of subsidies to private insurers to make health insurance more available to more people. It also expanded Medicaid, which is a good thing. Right. And no one in the Medicare for All campaign, no one in the Medicare for All fight is going to say that expanding Medicaid is a bad thing. Right. It's literally what we want to do. Yeah. (laughs) Right, right. So what Obamacare does, what uh, the Affordable Care Act does, I don't mean to call it Obamacare derisively. Most people don't know it by any other name. Yeah. Yeah. It's both. It's called the Obamacare. It's called the Affordable Care Act. Um, What it does is set a bunch of standards about the kind of things that health insurance should cover, which is good, Mm -hmm. right? They mandated that it include reproductive health, Right. Uh, behavioral health, um, rehabilitative, 
conditions. Protect people from discrimination over pre-existing conditions. That's another avenue on racial justice where there's a giant, completely opaque, unaccountable health insurance uh, system, bureaucracy, capitalist private bureaucracy that collects vast amounts of data on people. And we don't know how they're divvying people up. They, they could be charging, you know, people of a certain ethnicity or race more for health insurance because they've, they've decided that there is a statistically more likely chance of a certain disease or something. Mm-hmm. All of that would be eliminated under Medicare for All because it would put health insurance under democratic control, mm-hmm. small d, democratic control, right? <laughs> right? So we would have the ability to go to our legislators, actually have them advocate for something, um, you know, and, and flex the power that we have as, as the people. Um, yes. with one last thing about oh. affordable care act. So the other thing, when people say, how are we going to pay for Medicare for all, please remind them that we are currently spending hundreds of billions of dollars every year in direct subsidies to private health insurance companies, just to keep the current system, which no one is particularly happy with. Most people are not happy with it to keep the current system alive because the fact is health insurance health care shouldn't be a profit seeking right enterprise in the first place right so i appreciate you breaking down the aca that wasn't something i thought to even ask about but it is important that we talk about what's current right what a lot of folks are saying especially liberal progressives are like why don't we just try and fix what we have not keeping the narrative in the room about the subsidies that we're leaning to private entities, which is our poison really yeah. in this country. Um, in my opinion. So I, I want to just amplify a little bit more what you said about if it is put into government hands, whether we trust them or not, there is a mechanism to hold them accountable and to continue to reform it, make it better, put people in decision-making spaces that would be the best for us as the people. And have all of that information be freely and publicly available. Say it again. Because you could email or call Anthem. Have you ever been on customer service with an insurance company? (laughs) And gotten every single answer you want, you could FOIA your insurance company because it would be Medicare for all. It would be the government. Right. It, it's a different level of accountability once it becomes in the government's hands, not a private. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more. Um, I'm really interested, Gabby, in just your experience um, as a medical student and why, as someone going into this healthcare, that you are for Medicare for all and just hear a little bit about your experience. Sure. So I, I think... Medicare for all kind of touches on everything that is central to why I wanted to be a physician in the first place. And that's to make people feel better. And so if they can't access care, then they, they can't feel better. And Medicare for all is about kind of uh, putting the autonomy back for the patient, restoring power to them Mm. um, and making sure that, they can achieve their health goals. And then it's also about um, maintaining that patient-physician relationship. So I think something that is uh, very devious about private insurance companies is they dictate care. And so they will come back and say, this patient that we have never met in our lives, we know nothing about them, we're not approving their care, even though you as a physician who sat in the room with them said this is what they need. Mm. And so... 
it, it, physicians feel limited too. And right. so I think speaking um, as someone who's going to be a physician, yeah. this is something that we need as well mm-hmm. um, to form better relationships with our patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you all say, and it sounds like you're answering this, um, what would you all say to someone that says you're trying to fit this one size fits all and I am a black trans woman and my health care is going to need to look differently than someone in a different neighborhood that might be white male cis? What do you say? I think we say that if you need, if there's certain needs that you have in your health care, then Medicare for all is going to make sure that you get them and you can access them. I think it's important to recognize that there are other structures in place that can limit what care people get. There's certain biases, mm-hmm. um, certainly biases amongst healthcare professionals. I do not want to minimize that at all. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, talking about other barriers to accessing care, um, transportation, childcare, things like that. Right. But at the end of the day, you know it's there if you need it, um, and you know that whatever you can you need to access, you can get it. So with, especially with say trans healthcare or gender-based discrimination or racial discrimination, um, one of the strongest mechanisms we have for overcoming that for better or for worse in our society is like the federal government and civil rights legislation and civil rights enforcement. Right. So let's say I'm, you know, a white cis male walking in, I have Medicare for all right? Because everyone, if the system, you know, comes to be, everyone will have Medicare for all. I have the same insurance card in my pocket that everyone else has in their pocket, right? And there's also, you know, a trans woman of color who has Medicare for all, right? And that trans woman of color uh, has issues getting the care that they need from a provider for whatever reason, right? Or for discriminate, you know, because mm-hmm. they're being discriminated against, let's say. They have recourse under this system to and a a very strong lever of power against those healthcare providers who are discriminating against them. Because guess what? If you get the Medicare for all money fountain (laughs) shut off as a healthcare provider, you know, you're not going to have very much business. Right. Right. So there'll be ways, mechanisms for people to, um, you know, solidify their rights, enforce regulations. Um, Whereas now, you know, um, I guess, a lot of people are left to the whims of the state they live in, first of all. Right. Exactly. Right. I mean, New York only recently passed gender, which outlawed um, discrimination based on gender identity. You know, and that that should have happened 25 years ago. It should have happened 10 years ago. Yeah. Right. But it just happened. Right. And, you know, going up against a private insurance company, I mean, who's denying you care for this or that reason? I mean... Uh, I don't know about most people don't have enough money to actually do that. No, not at all. And I thank you for bringing up the federal, the way that civil rights equal equality has ever happened in this country is by a federal intervention right? and making the states cooperate in a way. Um, just a reminder to everyone. If you hear someone saying states rights, it's usually in order to discriminate. Mm-hmm. And I know we don't have too much time together, but I, I would love to just hear a few more of your thoughts about Medicare for All, some great information for the people to know before we go into what's your privilege. Well, something I wanted to bring up too about Medicare for All and the people who are leading the fight for it. First of all, it's a grassroots uh, movement. So 
we're not waiting around for you know economic or political elites to uh, see the light or something like that. We're fighting for Medicare for all by uplifting the voices of everyday people. Um, women and women of color, especially, are leaders in this movement. Um, take you know, listen to what National Nurses United say. Listen to nurses. You know, my sister is a nurse. Um, nurses, patient care technicians, home health aides, which are predominantly immigrant women of color, yep. Yep. right, are suffering under the private health insurance system because they're getting, you know, if they're getting, if people are getting coverage to, you know, have these benefits at all, they're getting, you know, $7 an hour or something right. to do care work, right? right? So it's a feminist issue too, where feminized labor is devalued, right? We need more social workers, right? We don't right. need more, certainly don't need more cops, but, you know, we don't necessarily need more doctors, yeah. right? We need right. people doing interventions earlier, you know, well, we do, we do, we need Gabby <laughs> feels a certain way over there. We need Dr. Obedoza, <laughs> um, the future head of the Medicare for all administration. Um, <laughs> Look, speak it. <laughs> so, um, I, I really appreciate you bringing up uh, domestic workers and workers specifically, and just that, that different layer of this. Cause many people are not asking the questions. Well, what are the people saying that work, the $8 an hour jobs that are also within healthcare and how would they feel about this? People don't usually care, honestly. And then speaking more about um, kind of jobs and workers. So this is honestly a workers liberation movement. If right. I may you know, go so far as to say that. Um, but yeah. <laughs> um, so, oh, so much of our health insurance is tied to our employment and being able to leave a job if it's terrible, if it's abusive, that is just even greater autonomy going back to what I was saying about patient autonomy. Leave a relationship if it's abusive or exploitative and not have to worry about your children's health care being tied to this toxic relationship you're in. Wow. Yeah. Because they're, they're on Medicare for all. Everyone has their own individual right to health insurance under Medicare for all. Right. I can't take that away from you. And you can make these huge life decisions that benefit your family the most because that's not a worry anymore. It's there. It's not going to fall off. Yeah, exactly. So really quickly, we brought up Medicaid. Talk to us a little bit how Medicaid would work under Medicare for All. So I think basically Medicare for All would subsume Medicaid because um, we would all be under the same plan. Um, and just speaking a little bit as to how Medicaid is viewed now, I think is important. Uh, Medicaid patients I see far too often are absolutely discriminated against in the doctor's office. There's They are given certain Medicaid patient slots at 7.30 in the morning. No one wants to show up to those appointments. Mm -hmm. um, and a disturbing thing I see is a Medicaid patient as a phrase is kind of used as shorthand to mean lazy or stupid or noncompliant. And so you hear like, oh, they're a Medicaid patient. That's why they didn't show up. Oh, see, I'm not in the healthcare industry. I didn't even know there was this yep. label. Yeah. Yep. Sorry to uh, burst everyone's bubble with that one, but um, and it's disgusting to see. And I think with Medicare for all, we're gonna get rid of that kind of stratification of patients and being able to make judgment calls on them based on what insurance they have. Right. So this is almost like lifting them up and putting them on a level field, yeah. right? And based on what you all are saying out of taxes, 
if they were paying nothing before, then based on their level of income, right, that would also transition for Medicare yeah. for all, right? Pe- people at or below the poverty line are not going to see an increase in their healthcare expenses, you know, especially if they're not paying anything already. Right. Um, the other thing about Medicare for all too with Medicaid is a lot of people like Medicaid, rightly so, because it's comprehensive, right? right? It's popular. Yes. Um, so it's vision, you know, it's uh, hospital benefits, it's specialist benefits, you know, and Medicare for all includes vision, dental, because Woo! a lot of healthcare, yes, starts with dental, you know, <laughs> um, you can prevent a lot of problems if you can yes. go to a dentist, you know. I, I worked as a social worker for so long with Medicaid yeah. recipients as adults and dental ain't there. Yeah. And uh, so that it was comprehensive for a lot of reasons, but sure. so many of the, the mental, I mean, the, even the mood, the medical stuff started right in their oral sections. Yeah, totally. So Medicare for all also, I mean, I have three different insurance cards in my wallet, I think, and I'm privileged i'm lucky to have them um but i can tell you it's a pain in the uh, it's a pain in the ass using them you know and and, uh, like i am not complaining to be clear well let's let's (laughs) uh, so let me really quickly and because we only have a few minutes left but this medicare a b c so that would all what would that still be do people need to worry like i have medicaid b or d right now and i hate it like i don't want medicare for all right so right now the reason that we have Medicare Part A, Part B, Part C, Part D, is because the private health insurance lobby has successfully, you know, chopped and screwed the <laughs> Medicare system um, to the point where uh, people are running whole campaigns for Congress just about, you know, I'm going to make insulin $5 less expensive. And I'm not belittling that in the sense of like, I think that is important to do. Mm-hmm. I think if that is what you can achieve, then you should achieve it. Mm -hmm. But the reason it's split up like that is because of the influence of the pharmaceutical industry, right? Um, Long-term care is not currently uh, covered in that way. Long-term care would be covered under Medicare for all, right? Right. So people wouldn't have to live the last years of their life, whatever age they are, in poverty. Um, They could live them in dignity. And, you know, this, this is, a lot of this is about dignity Mm. and autonomy. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially, I mean, a whole whole section of Medicare for All that we didn't even get to um, is how the healthcare system, how our society treats people with disabilities. Mm. And you know, I'm, it's not my personal story to tell. There's a lot of people out there. You know, Addie Barkin is is one example, but there's there's many many people yeah. who have really powerful messages experiences and visions for how the world could be right well that just means that maybe you all have to come back okay. and invite some other voices yes. to talk about this um before we get out of here we've got um about a minute each and we have to do our favorite segment of the show which is what's your privilege what's your privilege is a segment of the show where we invite the guests to describe their privilege and the identity in which they walk into the world and how they use it to disrupt the myth of white supremacy gabby you got the mic in your hand you want to go first sure so i mean i walk through this world as a woman of color but i am also a medical student meaning that i am privileged to be um, in this higher education sphere where we're making decisions about health care and um, you know experiencing kind of patient care and working with people that are different from ourselves. And I certainly see um, 
some people struggling with that in the healthcare world. Mm -hmm. And so being able to use my privilege um, as a medical student to call people in. There you go. Where (laughs) I see them, (laughs) where I want them to do better. Yep. And then being a little bit harsher where it needs to happen. Great. Ben, what's your privilege? Uh, So my privilege is being a, as some of my coworkers like to joke, a tall man person um, who, you know, is white. Um, Although on my marriage license that we filled out in South Carolina, I put down Jewish, which for my race, which I don't know. I just wanted to complicate their (laughs) racial hierarchy (laughs) down there in South Carolina. So I I would say uh, one way that I try and, uh, I don't know, practice solidarity is um, to be a worker bee, a co-conspirator in spaces that are led by women and women of color um, or other, you know, uh, you know, working class people, poor people uh, or people in poverty. Sorry, there's no people who are poor. (laughs) Sorry, we get it. We hear you. you know, and the Medicare for All campaign is one such thing. It is led by women. It is led by nurses. Another way I would say is uh, when someone thinks that I think the same, you know, disgusting things that they think because of the way I look, uh, it's fun to make them feel uncomfortable and subvert their expectations <laughs> and, uh, you know, mess with their heads. Um, I work in public libraries. You get a lot of like, you let these people just come in the library all day? And I get to say, yes, it's a public library. It's just as much theirs as it is yours. Mm. Yeah. And so you're my favorite kind of white guy. And that shows up and is able to use your voice in spaces and disrupt those spaces there. Sometimes we're just not in those rooms. And not to mention library people that work in libraries and protect that space mm-hmm. is really important. Yeah. So. And- I know now I'm talking, so it's like the opposite of what I'm about to say, but not talking is a really good lesson (laughs) for men in organizing spaces. Right. Well, I will let everyone know that you were able to connect Gabby here with us as a fellow member of your organization and bring all of her expertise here. I just want to thank you both for joining us, Gabby and Ben, and how can we follow your all's work? Uh, Richmond at Richmond DSA online at um, National Nurses uh, at Fight for M4A Medicare for All dot org uh, Medicare for All dot DSA USA dot org. I mean, you can't escape Medicare for All. We're coming for <laughs> you. It's on the bumper stickers. It's everywhere. Gabby's got some other plugs too. Sure. So um, if you are interested, um, if any medical students are listening to this, BCU has a Students for National Health Program chapter. I am co-president, so get in touch with me. Great. Um, also, you can follow the National on uh, Twitter at S-N-A-H-P underscore national. Nice. Great. So thank you all for being here and doing this work. Yeah, thank you. And hopefully we'll have you back on at Race Capital. Thanks. Thank you. It was really powerful when Beverly Ross pointed out that in terms of technology, healthcare is the best it's ever been. But in terms of human care, there's so much left to be desired. And Monica Hutchinson took Beverly's point a step further, noting that it's not just access to care, 
It's access to quality care with doctors who can meet you where you are. Ben Himmelfarb and Gabby Obadoza said that Medicare for All has the potential to wrest control from hospitals and insurance companies who arbitrarily set health care prices that so many people in the U.S. can't afford. Ben cited the statistic that 98% of people will see a reduction in their health care costs overall through Medicare for All. But, as Monica Hutchinson pointed out, Medicare for All is problematic for people of color because the politicians who write the policies are pretty much always white people. As Monica noted, there's a long history of gender, age, and especially race discrimination that carries into our present system. Folks like our guests at DSA suggest that civil rights legislation could be the key to addressing that. But there's a very contentious election on the horizon, and healthcare could be the nerve that skittish politicians are afraid to hit. Will Dems push harder in 2020 for healthcare reform, or will they play it safe? I think by now we all know the answer. It's anyone's guess. We'll catch you next week. I'm from the R.